Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Right, won't you turn to your, to your Bibles again and this evening uh, a third message from the seven letters uh, to the churches in the book of Revelation. So uh, a final message. I have been extracting some of the themes, the challenges from uh, these seven letters, but I want to read the, the letter to Ephesus tonight. So won't you follow with me, chapter 2, and uh, read from verse 1 down to verse 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So just so far, let's bow together in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you again that we can examine your word, that we seek to interpret it, to understand it, to apply it. And Lord, doing so dependent on your spirit being at work through the proclamation of this word. And Lord, you stirring in our hearts, continuing to mold us and form us and challenge us, convict us. And Lord, encourage us even we pray. And so Lord, may the words that I speak tonight also be simple and clear. And may I know something of the enabling of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I could. Well, I do want to start this message tonight by stating something that we know uh, fairly well: that Jesus is coming soon. I think every believer, certainly those who believe the Bible, uh, look forward to that day when Jesus will return. It's a fact that we are told repeatedly uh, in the Bible and very clearly in the Book of Revelation. And so it is true, we can look forward to that wonderful event, that wonderful day when Jesus returns and makes all things new. It's a day that we look forward to. However, in the meanwhile, we need to live. We are living. We gather together as a church. You go about your life from day to day. And Jesus is concerned, not only concerned about but also interested in the present state of your spiritual well-being as an individual, but also interested in the spiritual state of the church, the local church as we meet even yet tonight. So a couple of things that we've already looked at. It matters to him how you live out your faith. It matters to him how we together live out our faith. 
It matters to Him. We've seen that we extend ourselves as believers in hard work uh, with the gospel, in the gospel, for the sake of His name and the church. It matters to Him that we stand up for truth, that we uh, contend for the faith. It matters to Him that we pursue holy living and that we project a holy life. And so over the past two messages, uh, first message in fact, I, I looked at Jesus is concerned about what you do outwardly. It matters to him. The church matters. Uh, we as individuals and, of course, those of us who gather together as well. Well, this evening I want to go a little bit further and extract an additional theme from these letters. I once again want to look at the, what I call the hidden and the less obvious issues of our faith and our walk with God. And so I want us to consider what Jesus said and simple outline this evening. First point, the unseen inside matters. Nobody else sees this. Nobody else knows this. Uh, we have some idea of what goes on inside of us, but God knows us completely. I used the illustration of uh, biting into a peach when I uh, preached that sermon on this topic and uh, perhaps just to remind you in the same way that when you bite into a nice shiny peach, you don't expect to find worms inside. You don't expect to find half a worm inside. Uh, the reality is our outward actions of our Christian life needs to be consistent also with the inner condition of your heart. There needs to be a consistency. Revelation chapter 3 verse 1, the letter to Sardis, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you did. So there's an outward impression, but the inward reality is something different. And it matters to Jesus that the outward reputation is not acceptable. It matters to him that the outward actions match the inner health, the inner spiritual health, the authentic spiritual condition of your heart. So the spiritual condition of the unseen inside matters to Jesus. Now I did look at two uh, of these unseen inside matters. I looked at the matter of hypocrisy and also looked at the matter of self-sufficiency. But tonight... Tonight I want to go on. There is something more that Jesus speaks about, concerned about the unseen insight. I simply put it this way. Be on the lookout for a rapidly beating heart. I'm looking around tonight, and I am aware that there are budding relationships. Am I right? You can see it in certain places. Uh, there's something rising above certain people's heads. And uh, I think there's been some uh, vibing. <laughs> Am I right? Some vibing has been going on, and, and it's nothing new. Uh, vibing has been going on for centuries, for years. Even old people like me used to vibe. And, uh, and, and the point I'm, I'm wanting to make, it's a wonderful thing, it's a beautiful thing to see people vibing and developing a relationship. Coming together ultimately in marriage, and I've conducted many weddings, and it's a wonderful thing to see a bride and a groom 
standing together up front. And there is a certain uh, evidence of the ooing and the googling, and I'm not sure what else we would call it. But, but the love of a bride for her groom and the love of a groom for his bride is obvious for all to see. Isn't that true? The wedding ceremony is always good evidence that this man and this woman, that their hearts are rapidly beating for each other. Can you hear somebody's heart down there? Okay. I used to think about that as a young person, and even along the way in my marriage, it's true that, isn't it, someone comes and captivates you? Uh, another word I thought of, mesmerized. It's something to look forward to if you're still single. Can't find anybody. It's a wonderful experience. Okay, so now here's the point. They, this couple stand in front of their friends and family, unashamedly beaming their love toward each other. In their vows, and I see very often in the context of the Christian church, that a, a Christian couple uh, write their own vows. But normally speaking, the vows consist of a commitment of devotion, a commitment of a willingness to sacrifice to each other, a willingness to be in submission to each other, a commitment to each other, and being the best friends ever. I'm sure you've heard all of that stuff at weddings. And it's a delightful thing as the years go by to hear that brides and grooms continue to love and be devoted to each other. However, sadly, tragically, I've also seen couples who used to do that, but they don't do that anymore. They can't stand each other anymore. They openly complain about each other Spouse against spouse, and words I've even heard people say that she's a nag and he's an old goat. They did commit vows to each other. There's uh, now no longer a spark of love evident. But then I've seen in other instances other couples who simply tolerate each other. They exist together like passing ships in the night. Uh, some couples not even, and sadly, some couples not even sharing a bedroom anymore. She's no longer his heartthrob, and he's no longer her heartthrob. Now, is that right? Do, do, do you not want to be uh, in love and married to someone with there's a vibrancy of love and devotion and intimacy, and, and you don't want that to cool off? You don't want that to evaporate? Don't you want to still be like that after 10 years of marriage and, and, and 60 years of marriage? Now, what we know to be true about love in our human relationships is also true in our relationship with God. And where I'm going to is that your present love for God matters to Jesus. It matters. The church at Ephesus was commended for some good things. They did not tolerate wicked men. They protected the church from false apostles. They endured hardship, and, and they, they did not grow weary. But there's a flaw there's a crucial flaw, and it undermines every single thing they're doing. Uh, chapter 2, verse 4, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Now, not many married couples yet tonight, 
But imagine being married to someone who was a good cook. Someone who kept the house tidy, a good housekeeper. Someone who always sees to the garden, makes sure that the pool is backwashed and clean. The animals are fed and groomed. But never showing any affection. Fire of love is missing, it's absent. Wouldn't that be living like living with an efficient robot? We in the church, those of us who call ourselves Christians, often confuse activity and slavish loyalty with love. Love is much more than the fulfillment of duties. Love is about affection. It's about devotion to that person. It's about delighting, about enjoying being in the presence of that person. Love is about intimacy. It's about joy. Just think back to the Old Testament and one of the stories I really uh, like and I think uh, uh, perhaps a love story, Jacob could work seven years for the hand of Rachel. Why? And the seven years passed so quickly because he loved her. There was emotion, there was affection, there was uh, delight, there was devotion. And so we're told in Genesis 29, it seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. What goes wrong? How does a man or woman move from the joy and delight of a wedding day to the place of simply putting up with each other? It moves me me to my next point. Be on the lookout for what is the silent heart killer. You see, before the wedding, there's a bit of marriage counseling for those who are looking to be married. Before the wedding, great effort is made in pursuing and wooing each other. Therefore, at the beginning of the marriage, they are smitten. Let me give an example. If we have uh, these words in the Song of Solomon, just listen. Chapter 1, verse 15. Behold, you're beautiful, my love. Behold, you're beautiful. Your eyes are doves. And uh, behold, you're beautiful. This is him now. My beloved, truly delightful, our couch is green. I mean, you can hear the emotion. They're not just doing duty together. But sadly, so often, after the wedding, and I use the phrase, the deal is done. There's no longer the need to put the best foot forward. And so we begin to show our cracks and our our blind spots and our our failings. And and we get so busy in just living life. And and we end up, here's the silent killer, We end up neglecting to pursue the one that we committed to in love. Suddenly no more flowers on special days. Chocolates no longer arrive. Rather watch a game of rugby or soccer than sit and have a conversation and listening intently. Dating flies out the window. And the heart grows hard. The silent killer of the fire in your heart is neglect. 
The relationship is no longer a priority. And so this church at Ephesus, and I hope you see what I'm doing tonight. I'm trying to use the analogy that we know and live with, which is a husband and a wife, and our relationship with God. The church at Ephesus is commended, yes, for their loyalty, but Jesus rebukes them for losing the spark. Not about you. You know that I dated my wife from when she was 15. We were married for 40 years. And even in those 40 years towards the end, before she passed away, I still used to get that. Can't even describe it. When she came into my presence. Spark. The spark of love. And these Ephesians had loved Jesus dearly. It's the most basic response to what we've been singing tonight. And can it be amazed at the, at the love of God, uh, love for our Savior, because He rescued us from, from our sin. But over time, so much is taken for granted, and, and hearts grow cold, and, and it leads to more neglect, and, and, and more neglect, and there's less effort and time given to nurturing the relationship, the devotion, the heart. I think one of the biggest challenges we face in our evangelical context, in our Baptist context, is that we spend a lot of time going through the motions of doing things. The, ne the neglect deepens, especially when other things also creep in, like other activities, ambition, greed, busyness, sometimes relational uh, uh, issues that are unresolved, bitterness, unforgiveness, disappointment. It smothers the beauty of love. The magic and the beauty of love is gone. Referring to another one of the letters here to the Laodiceans, we see here this also mattering, mattering to Jesus or matters to Jesus. And uh, the, the, the verse 15 uh, goes on over there. I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. In other words, there's just a laissez-faire, you know, uncaring, mediocre kind of attitude. What would that you were rather hot, a cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Now, I don't know what makes you nauseous. For me, I know. I've tried to go deep sea fishing three times. And every time I've gone deep sea fishing, I've got as sick as a dog. I've also discovered in my running, I'm not able to eat many of the sweet gels. After 15, 20 kilometers, it leads me to vomit. So I've got to find other things. So we vomit, and I'm sure you have vomited. Jesus actually says here that this uh, lukewarmness leads him to want to spit them out of his mouth. He's speaking about nauseousness. They had drifted to a place of lukewarmness, apathy toward God, a danger, a great danger in a church like ours, like ours. The wheels keep turning at Central. Perhaps those are new here tonight. Our church was established in 1889. The wheels have been turning and they've been replaced many times already. Pastors keep appearing. Sermons keep coming. The budget keeps ticking over. Leaders keep meeting. Years come and years go. We can so easily take God for granted. Take the gospel for granted. 
and be in a place of stale lethargy, neglecting our relationship to God. So are, are you there tonight? I mean, in, in all honesty, it's a question we, we ought to ask. Has, has, has the coming of Jesus into your life, we heard some testimonies tonight, which is great, has it become old hat? Kind of same old, same old? Or is there that sense of anticipation and excitement, taking pleasure in fully appreciating who God is, in loving Him and being devoted to Him, adoring Him? Read the Psalms and we see that is in fact the case. So it brings me to my third point. What do we do? What ought we to do? Again, just uh, using the same outline, be on the lookout for ways to eradicate the silent killer. Chapter 2, verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. Got to change. Got to turn from from what is causing this uh, apathy and this lethargy and this, this lack of, of love and devotion to God. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You know, you know what he's saying here? Yeah? The local church will disappear if people do not repent from their sin in this particular instance to the church of Ephesus, repenting so that they have that spark of their first love again. I've not been to Turkey, but I understand that the church at Ephesus no longer exists. don't know when it stopped existing, but I wonder if it is because they just drifted in their relationship with God. The problem with us often is we think that these problems or these challenges can be resolved through a simple waving of the wand. But there's a duty that we need to perform. And the duty is that we need to repent. I like the analogy or the story of the older brother, remember the prodigal son. He demanded his inheritance. He wasted it in a distant land. And then what did he do? He finally ended up in the pigsties. And so he had a duty. He had a responsibility. He had to make a decision. Get up out of the pigsty, out of this despicable, God-defying sin, and humbly go back to his father. Luke 15, 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Do you need to repent this evening? Turning back again uh, to God in devotion, not just in what you do, but how you feel. 1 John 4 verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. The love of the Father for you as an individual. Sending His Son. Jesus dying on the cross. The Spirit at work, applying that work. In fact, again, as we go back to the prodigal son, what do we see the father and his response to his repenting son? He arose and he came to his father, that is the prodigal, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And so, folk, if you've lost your first love, what needs to change? 
How ought you to repent? What do you need to admit to as sin that has caused this in the relationship that you have with God? And I have a conclusion. I have two points in application. First of all, those who are married, you and your spouse, husbands and wives, if you have drifted from your first love for each other, you need to make a decision. It starts with a decision. It, it, it starts in the mind before it gets to the heart. Sometimes we get it the wrong way around and we think it starts in the heart and it leads to the head. It must start in the head and it leads to the heart. So love is a decision that uh, ought to go back uh, uh, to the head. Go back to where you were. Look and see where things have gone wrong. What is it that needs to change in the context of your marriage? What is it that you need to repent from so that you can once again be close in intimacy and delight with your spouse? Now, what about you and God? What about you and God? Any memory of your love and delight in God way back is not good enough for God. The present is important. Your present love matters to Jesus. It ought to be beating for him now. And so this message tonight, and, and it, it, perhaps this is a bit of a repeat, it's not about how busy you are in ministry. We can easily be busy in ministry. How tender is your heart toward loving and delighting in God? Is there sin that needs to be repented from? Are there relationships that need to be mended? Is there time that you ought to give in nurturing this relationship with God? May God help us to love Him more and more as the days go by. And Lord, I pray to that end tonight, uh, so easy to maybe even speak of these things, Another thing to respond and draw close to you. And I pray that by your Spirit, Lord, you would constantly be convicting us of sin, of righteousness and judgment, stirring in our hearts, Lord, the greatness of your love for us from your Word, the demonstration of that love through sending your Son, and, Lord, the application of all of the merits accomplished by Jesus for us on the cross in the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. May we be a group of people that love you dearly, that express our affection for you, unashamedly, Lord, devoted to you, delighting in you day by day, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.